When Mike and I spent a couple of days in Berlin, I had told him that since he had been there before, that I would go wherever he wanted. I thought that he might like to go to one of the many museums on Museum Island, or to Charlottenburg Castle, where his grandfather had been the gatekeeper, or any of the other amazing sites I had read about. But instead he said, we must go to the Grachniskirche. Nowhere in my limited reading had I heard about this place. But a promise is a promise. And so we took the streetcar to this mysterious location in the middle of the city. Even before we got off the car, I could see why Mike would say we needed to visit. The English translation of Grachniskirche is Memorial Church. While the original building was only built in 1890, young for churches in the area, the spire is quite an impressive sight. Impressive because it was majorly damaged during the bomb a bombing raid in 1943, and it was never completely replaced. Berliners call it der Holazon, meaning the hollow tooth. Picture, please. This snaggle-toothed spire in the middle of the city surrounded by shopping malls and restaurants, is a reminder of the atrocities of war. The Protestant community, who once worshipped in this church, did rebuild, but next door, in a completely new contemporary building. Both buildings are opposite to one another in both feel and architecture. You can see the, the one, the, the old spire, and you can see it's hollow. Uh, there's a little, in the archway there, you can see that it's hollow. And then the tall building that looks like a skyscraper beside it, that's the new church. Both, but inside the new building, you will find the sanctuary glowing in a blue haze due to the 21,000 929 blue stained glass inlays surrounding the chancel. Picture, please. The traditional church was transformed during the war into a reminder of destruction, but the new building also transforms one's perspective on traditional worship spaces. Both are completely different, yet both serve a purpose of reminding the people that God meets us in the ruins of a cathedral or in the contemporary spaces glowing with light. You can turn the lights back on. You can turn it to the black slide. Thanks. God's holy places 
are not restricted to one particular kind of architecture. And sometimes we need to have a clean slate before we can find God in alternative spaces. Had the original building not been destroyed, then this would not be a place where tourists from around the world would gather in awe in either building. In many ways, Jesus' actions in the temple transform familiar traditions of worship and change the perspective. Jesus even changes what the word temple means. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, this story is referred to as a multiple attestation, meaning it occurs in every gospel and is described in somewhat similar detail. This implies that in all likelihood, an occurrence like this did happen. In fact, it is very rare to find a story that happens in all of the synoptic gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as the gospel of John. Now, John's gospel was likely written much later than the other three and was written for a very different audience. As a result, there are often drastic differences between it and the other three gospels. Therefore, while this passage is described as a multiple attestation, it should not surprise us that John still has to be a little different. And two differences stand out. One, that John places this story in a different timeline to the other Gospels. And two, that John omits a particular phrase and adds a new one. First, whereas the Synoptic Gospels place this story near the end of Jesus' ministry, and connect it to the desire by the temple leaders to have Jesus killed, the author of John places this event at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. It is essentially his first public act. Now, in part, this may be a reflection of the author's desire to comment on the relationship between early Christians and Judaism, particularly since John's gospel was written during a time when early believers had been shunned by the temple community. But it is also interesting to think about how people would have reacted to Jesus' display of passion, even anger, it is particularly interesting to think about this display coming at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when those in the temple would have known very little about him. A few might have heard about John the Baptist's pro proclamations. Perhaps some heard about a band of disciples following a teacher. Maybe even a few had heard about the miraculous 
water into wine at a recent wedding, which happens right before our passage. But in truth, that is all they would have known based on John's gospel. Which means that basically Jesus' outburst in the temple comes out of nowhere. And to think that it is Jesus' first public display of ministry. But this is also characteristic of John's gospel, which is meant to stir us up and enable us to ask questions like, who is this Jesus? How does his ministry relate to God? And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? This would also tie in to Jesus' words regarding the destruction of the temple to a new understanding of what the temple is, which then relates to the second difference between John's and the other Gospels' story. You, you may recall that in the Synoptic Gospels' version of this story, Jesus uses language from Jeremiah and accuses those who are selling animals and changing money as thieves. He declares that they have made the temple a den of robbers. Clearly, in this context, Jesus is protesting the corruption within the temple. However, in John's version, Jesus doesn't say this. Instead, he declares he will destroy the temple and in three days he will raise it up. It, it seems a bit out of place. And clearly, even the narrator thought it odd because the narrator tries to help us understand it by stating he was speaking of the temple as his body. You see, in John, Jesus uses the cleansing of the temple to point to an altogether different holy place. New Testament teacher Mary Hinkle Shore helps us to understand what Jesus meant when she writes, the temple was the meeting place between the God of Israel and God's people. And sacrifices were offered during religious festivals and at special times in people's lives, meaning it would not have been out of place to sell animals at the temple. And the temple was still a holy place. It was a place where human life and divine blessing met. So the entire premise of John's gospel is that Jesus is the word made flesh. What we call in fancy church language, the incarnation. God meets God's people through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In this way, Jesus is stating that he is the holy place. He is the place where the divine and humanity meet. Well, this makes me wonder, where does God meet us today? Certainly for many of us, we meet God in scripture. 
through the stories of the Israelites and Jesus. We hear in our reading from Exodus that God met the Israelites through the law by establishing guidelines for their living, living both in relationship to God and in relationship with each other. It is, of course, my hope that we meet God in this sanctuary through our expressions of praise and prayer. Sometimes we do find God in those cathedrals of the past, with their stone walls and high arches. And other times we may, we may find God in those contemporary spaces with their unique designs. However, what Jesus is implying is in this passage that the, it is the presence of God made present in his body. A body not unlike mine, not unlike yours. And today we celebrate the sacrament of communion in an acknowledgement of what happened to Christ's body, to the place where divine and humanity meet. In this sacrament, we meet God. And during the season of Lent, we travel with Christ's body in Jerusalem. On this journey, his body bends down to wash the disciples' feet. His body drinks with his friends and family. His body is beaten, crucified, and laid in a tomb. His body is raised so that friends can eat and drink with him again. Dr. Shore reminds us the body of Jesus is the location of God and the point of connection between divine and human life. That is how we answer those previous questions of who Jesus is and how does his ministry relate to God. Jesus draws us into relationship with God. Jesus is the holy place where divine and humanity meet. And Jesus is dynamic, challenging, and even controversial in this story, which is exactly what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We acknowledge this cleansing of the temple, this transformational power, this meeting place between the divine and humanity through the sacrament of communion. Whether we meet in a contemporary space in Canada or a battered table in Germany, Christ is always present at this table. And today we not only taste and see that God is good, but we are reminded of the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. Come and meet God at this table. Amen.